How are you doing today? Great. You feeling good? Yeah? I'm glad. I'm very, very, very glad to be here with you today. My name is Trinity, and I am the campus pastor here at the Lathrop campus. I want to give a shout out to the other campuses this morning. Pastor Taish preached her first, not her first message, but her first message at the River Islands campus today, um, and I can't wait to hear the report about that. And then uh, Pastor Brian, uh, who was up here, he's my husband, was up here leading worship today, graciously came and did that, and then just jetted out about a million miles an hour. He going off to preach the Modesto campus this morning. So lots of fun stuff going on this week. And last week was fun too. Uh, last week was our creative worship gathering. Um, for those of you that were here, I really appreciate you being here. And then we had our worship night um, on Wednesday night, which was God really, really moved through that event. And I want to thank all the volunteers that made that possible. Um, we certainly had our hands full with technical difficulties. The enemy did not want the praises of Jesus going out across the country and across the world, um, but it still did, and his word did not return void, and we're very grateful for that. But those of you that were here at that um, creative worship gathering last week, you uh, heard me say that I have been in love with three men in my life. Three men in my life. And you're like, that's inappropriate. It's okay. They were my dad, my husband, and my son. And uh, my son is three. He's going to be four uh, next month. He's going to be 25, just slightly after that. Um, he's, got, he's got an old soul. And uh, you might think that I'm exaggerating um, or being facetious when I say I'm in love with him. I am telling you, last night, I have one boy, I have two girls. My two girls could really care less about me unless I'm cooking. They, uh, they're in love with daddy. They're all about daddy. It's all daddy all the time. But my son, um, I'm in love with him. I just am. Last night, we took my kids swimming. You know, it's been nice. We got in the pool. They're swimming. My, my son's jumping in and out of the pool and having a great old time. And all of a sudden, he just strokes across the pool as fast as he can. And he hits me at like a thousand miles an hour. And he wraps his arms and legs around me. And he looks deep into my eyes. His beautiful eyes. And I prayed. I prayed over those eyes. I said, God, give when this, this kid was in my stomach, I said, God, give this boy my eyes, but do not give him my nose. <laughs> God, give him my beautiful blue eyes that I'm very proud of, my, my piercing blue eyes, but God, do not give him my piercing nose. <laughs> God, give him my husband's adorable button nose, his manly button nose. <laughs> and give him my eyes. And the Lord did me one better. So that kid came out with my eyes, and he came out with my husband's manly, adorable button nose with my freckles sprinkled across it. And so last night, he's wrapped around me, and he's staring deep into my eyes, and I knew that he had something to tell me. And so I just stared into his eyes. And he said, Mommy, I just love you. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And then he said, Mommy, can I have another popsicle? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> he is the most delightful conversationalist. I love talking to him. He is a little me, which is to say he's amazing. Um, <laughs> here, here's how he's a little me. I remember this as a kid. He listens to everything around him and he absorbs it and then he uses it. So he's always, maybe you've met a kid like this. Another word might be precocious, okay? But he, he repeats everything that he hears. And so we actually have, my husband and I have a, a list on our phone called Jadwinisms. His name is Jadwin, where we just keep track because we never want to forget the 
ridiculous things he says. It's three years old, it's a hundred lines long. Um, he, he said, like one time he heard his papa say this, and so I said, uh, buddy, can you go get the trash out of the trash can? And he said, well, sure, I can do that, just like his papa. Uh, we have phrases that we use for discipline in our home. And so one day my, uh, my daughter, who's two, was getting after him and uh, telling him what for and where to go and how to be. And he said, uh, Brinley, I can't hear whining. It hurts my ears. <laughs> he, uh, one, one day he, he splashed water where he shouldn't have splashed water all over my refrigerator. And he just, he didn't even give me a chance to respond. He said, I am welcome to clean the refrigerator. And then he went and got a, a sponge. Uh, one time, this is my mother, okay? Uh, my mother is, is a legend. She's known for saying, oh Jesus. That's her, her quick prayer when any of us do anything like just mortifies her. And so one day I was driving and I swear it wasn't my fault. Somebody else did something. Uh, but from the back, I hear him whisper, oh Jesus. Uh, but my favorite was recently he was brushing his teeth and we have the, one of those little two-minute hourglass things, you know, that we flip over. And so I got it out. I said, buddy, it's time to brush your teeth. And I flipped it over. And he went, I kid you not, he stared at it. He whispered, time is of the essence. <laughs> what? You're three. So the way that his mind works is fascinating. And I, he has been arguing with me lately, but it's not arguing. It's like debating. And um, I, I'm starting to understand the way that my parents used to look at me. Maybe you have a kid like this. It's like equal parts like annoyed that he's arguing with me, but also like that's a pretty good point. And I am fairly impressed with your logic there. And so, but we know arguing isn't gonna fly in our house. So we've been using the phrase, I love you too much to argue to kind of shut that down. I love you too much to argue. Sometimes I repeat that like a thousand times in an hour. I love you too much to argue. And so the other day I had said it probably a million times and he looks at me and goes, I want you to love me a little bit so that we can argue. <laughs> and so one of the, <laughs> He's just, he's so smart. And so I have a lot of nicknames for him, but one of the things that we call him around our house is smart guy, because uh, he gets smart with me a lot. He tries to outwit me, um, and he's not as experienced as I am or as educated as I am yet, uh, but it's scary um, how he uses every weapon in his arsenal to try and win with me. And the more, uh, the older he gets, it's like the more formidable he becomes. Um, and so his antics are funny. We love quoting Jadwin around our house. Uh, we like to tease him. But my goal as a parent is not to raise a smart guy. And my goal as a human being and as a Christian is not to be a smart guy, not to be a smart person. My goal for myself, my goal for my children, my goal for us as a church is not that we be a bunch of smart guys, but that we be wise guys. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be a wise guy and what the difference is. A lot of people use the word smart and the word wise interchangeably. They think they're synonymous. But the Bible makes it clear that they're two very, very different things and that one of them is way more important than the other. See, if you're like me, you like a good hashtag life hack, right? I like life hacks. I actually teach an entire course here at New Life Church. It's called Hashtag Bible Hacks, um, which is uh, a series of tools and tricks for, uh, um, excuse me, for uh, going through the Bible, navigating the Bible more easily. And uh, I like to read books and I like to read blogs all about life hacks. I just love like hacking life, making something easier, uh, making it more efficient, more effective. Um, and so I actually, I launched my own um, like blog and social media presence last year, just all about 
about that. I'm just that passionate about it. Um, in fact, I, I'm excited to share with my church family that I'll actually be finishing a book this year. Um, it's one of the things that I'll, well, thank you very much. <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, you're going to read a whole book in 2021? <laughs> is it a chapter book? Or is there pictures, pop-ups maybe? I'll be writing a book in 2021. I'm, I'm uh, quite a ways through it right now and be sending off to publishers at the end of the year because I'm so passionate about this and I believe that God um, has given me a brain that works the way that it does for a purpose. Um, and so I wanna invest the talents he's given me wisely, but there's one thing that I've learned in my life with life hacks and that's that there is a difference between a life hack that helps and a life hack that hinders. See, there's, there's some really smart ideas out there in the corners of the internet. If you've ever tried to look up how to make something easier on YouTube or on, uh, you know, on a blog or anything like that, one idea that I really love is the idea of batching. It's where you do like similar tasks together, okay? So like if you are going to clean a mirror, you should go ahead and clean all the mirrors in your house because you already have the Windex out, right? So it's like efficient, it's called batching. That's all, you know, if you're gonna fold, why don't you fold all the towels at once instead of, you know, here and there, all that kind of thing. It's simple, it's easy, it's smart. Some of you are like, that's obvious. I don't know, I had to read it in a book, okay? Um, but in the wrong hands, or in my neurotic, over-caffeinated brain, a smart idea can become really, really dumb. So what will happen is I will be brushing my teeth like a human being where the toothpaste stays in my mouth or in the sink where I spit it, but I share this sink with my husband, and apparently when he brushes his teeth, all hell breaks loose. Um, and so I'll be staring at these splatters of toothpaste on the mirror, okay? And I'm going, I need to clean this mirror because he's not gonna do it because those have been there a while and it's starting to irritate me. And so I'll go, okay, I need to clean the mirror. That's step number one. I, I notice the mirror needs to be clean. I will decide to clean the mirror. I will remember, hashtag life hacks, batching. So I will say I should batch the task. I should clean all the mirrors in my house while I have the Windex out. It makes sense. While I'm at it, I will go ahead and decide that I am a super batcher and I will clean all of the windows, all of the door handles, all of the appliances, and all of the shiny surfaces in my home, including my baby's bald head. Since I'm going to be doing that, I should probably also clean all of my jewelry because that's shiny as well. But since, since I'm going to clean my jewelry, before I do that, I should go ahead and I should sort through my jewelry and decide what I'm going to keep and what I'm going to get rid of because I wouldn't want to be inefficient and clean jewelry that I'm not going to keep. But since I'm smart, and I batch tasks, if I'm going to be going through my jewelry, I should go ahead and go through my closet and all the closets in the house to sort through what is to be kept and what is going to go. And if I'm going to be getting rid of items, then I really should have somewhere to put them. So I'm going to schedule a garage sale to get rid of all of our unnecessary items. So I will open my calendar to schedule a garage sale and there will be no Saturdays available for eight months. So I will not clean my mirror. And now, Every time I see my husband's toothpaste splatters on the mirror, I will remember that all of my weekends are full for the rest of 2021, and I will cry. It's kind of like that book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, except for it's If You Give a Type A Personality a Life Hack. In this case, the idea was very smart, but the execution was not wise. 
The idea was very smart, but the execution was not wise. It's smart to batch tasks. But wisdom says that I'm harming myself by going down that rabbit trail, and it would have been a better use of my valuable time and headspace to just clean the one mirror and move on with my life. Now, that's a silly example, but it is a picture of what life looks like when we rely solely on smarts or on knowledge. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom, and today we're going to look at a couple of passages that deal with wisdom and what it means to us um, and, and how we're going to use it. So I want you to pull out your Bible, or I want you to pull out a device that has a Bible app on it, and then there are some things that I want you to write down. Here's a life hack that you need to know. Did you know that writing something down, the physical act of writing something down, is the retention equivalent of hearing it about seven times? I really want you to let that sink in for just a second. That's a psychological fact. If you write something down, it's as if you went back and listened to this message seven times, okay? That's how much you're gonna retain it. So if you want to retain what you hear from God today, if you don't want to waste your time by listening to something that you're not gonna remember when you walk out of here, choose to write something down. It doesn't have to be the same something as everybody else. Write down what God is speaking to you so that you will retain it. You can pull on it and draw on it, use it later. That's why we include note cards, blank note cards and all the seat pockets in here. If you don't have something to write it down, we'll go ahead and write that down on a note card. Take that with you. But I do recommend, hashtag life hack, that you dedicate a notebook to every time that you hear a message and go ahead and write some things down. Hashtag church hacks. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bible to the table of contents. I'm serious. I want you to turn in your Bible to the table of contents. I want you to open the table of contents in your map. It's, it's near the beginning, somewhere around page one. So here's the story. In the beginning, I want to give you some context in the history of this book. Um, so in the beginning of the story, God created the world. Genesis means the beginning. That's the first book in the Bible. Genesis is the beginning. And the Genesis story continues generations later when God um, selects one man, Abraham, to be the father of his chosen people. So through Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, the Israelites are God's people, you hear that word in church a lot, the Israelites come to be. And they end up through Jacob and Joseph's life in Egypt. And that's where they're enslaved over a period of about 400 years because they go from one guy's kids to an entire nation of people that are now enslaved in Egypt. And so um, they, uh, they cry out to God. They say, we want to be you know, released from this slavery. And God calls Moses, one of the Israelites, um, to lead the people out of Egypt to the promised land, which is the land that way back with Abraham, God promised to him for his descendants, for his people. And so that's the let my people go. Um, the parting of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, that's all Moses. And that story takes place over Genesis and over Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. That's where they exit Egypt, okay? And then you have Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the first five books of the Bible. They're all information that God gave to his people right after he called them out of Egypt. You tracking with me here? 
So then the people disobeyed God. These people, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites that were brought out of Egypt, this people, this nation, they disobey God and they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until the sinful generation dies out and is replaced with an obedient generation, still the same people, the Israelites. And God releases his people into the promised land and it's inhabited by enemies. It wasn't just laying open for them. So God gives them victory after victory to claim the land. The first victory is when the walls of Jericho come down and that's under the leader Joshua, who takes over after Moses. So the book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. We're on this, we've got this, we're tracking together. During that time, the Israelites were led by what's called judges. Key in with me here. Uh, those are chronicled in the book of Judges. Are you looking at your table of contents? You see how this is all coming together? Those are leaders that settled disputes among the people. They led the armed forces and they made decisions based on what God was telling him. There's more stories in Joshua and Judges if you're looking for really cool stories like in the book of Ruth. And then in 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a guy named, wouldn't you know it, Samuel. What a coincidence. He is a man of God that's now leading the Israelites. But then in 1 Samuel 8, the Israelites ask for a king to lead them. God warns them against it, but he gives them what they ask for. And the first Israelite king is crowned. His name is Saul. Saul disobeys God and God replaces him with King David, the famous King David. His rule is recorded in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. He also wrote a lot of the Psalms. When David is getting ready to die, he appoints his son Solomon to be king, and Solomon's story gets picked up in 1 Kings. Solomon is also responsible for the writings of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And today, we're gonna look at a story about Solomon. Now, why did I tell you all of that? Where did that come from? If we're only gonna talk about Solomon, why did you need to know everything from the literal beginning of earth leading up to this? First, first reason, context helps. When I teach the Bible Hacks course, um, when Bible Hacks is just a really snazzy way of saying hermeneutics, which is how you interpret scripture, um, finding context for a scripture is really important to understanding the scripture. You can't just throw open the, I'm telling you, you should not just throw open the book and start reading and just expect to understand. Now, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he helps us understand, but we are to be studiers of this word. And so when you read a passage in the Bible, you wanna understand the context in the overall story, which is why the second reason that I gave you all that background, and I'm gonna stop there, but I, I'm hoping that there will be a Zygarnik effect here, uh, where I cut off in the middle of the story and you wanna know what happens next, because later this year, God has called our church, our entire church, all campuses, all ages, on a journey. We will be embarking on a series of special messages called The Story. Now, how many of you were a part of New Life about seven years ago when we participated in the story? So there's gonna be new for a lot of people and it's gonna be a repeat for a lot of people and that's good. Um, what it is, is it's the Bible written out in chronological order in a novel type format. And for 31 weeks, which is a long time, we go through the entire story of the Bible from start to finish. 
many of us have never done that before and certainly a lot of us haven't done it in a way where we're putting the stories right up against each other. But this is really neat because we're going to be doing it in all languages, at all campuses, all ages. So this will be age appropriate for uh, the babies. We literally have baby material all the way up through adults. Everybody's going to be doing this together and we're going to figure out the context of the Bible. So I hope that you'll key in for that. You'll look forward to that. There will be more information on that. It begins uh, with the new school year later this year. So we're going to talk about Solomon today, and you're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is the new king of Israel, and he is young, all right? So David had just died. He was advanced in years, and now he's a very young uh, king of Israel. Um, and if you read through First and Second Samuel, you'll see that it was not a peaceful ascent to the throne for Solomon. His brothers wanted to be king. Uh, there was a lot of bloodshed. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of fighting. A lot of people thought that maybe Solomon shouldn't be king. So it was kind of a dramatic time for Solomon. And, um, and the nation is at unrest. Okay? And Solomon is known as a man that loves God. So he is offering sacrifices to God. And it's here that God appears to King Solomon in a dream in 1 Kings chapter 3, and he asks him a question. He says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What do you want? Can you imagine if God asked you that question? Like, that's a pretty big question to hear from God. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon's reply is very admirable. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. He says this, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern the great people of yours? And God, it says, is pleased with this answer. So he answers Solomon, starting in verse 10, says the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for that. So God asked him, or God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor um, have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there well, will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. There are different words in different translations. Um, it uses a heart of discernment or a wise heart. What Solomon asked God for was wisdom. And God's so pleased by his request that he tells Solomon he will make him the wisest man to ever live, that no one will ever have been as wise as him and no one will ever be as wise. Solomon was a wise guy. And that's why Solomon's stories recorded in 1 Kings and his instructions written in Proverbs and his thoughts in Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon are valuable. They are given by a man that we know is the most wisest person to ever walk the earth. 
So I mentioned earlier that I like to read a lot of sources when I'm trying to get smart about something. But one thing I'm very selective about is not what I read so much as who I read. If I trust the source, I'm willing to commit to reading a book. If I don't trust the source, no matter how popular it is or how highly recommended it comes, I'm not going to waste my time with the book because it's thoughts from someone that I don't trust. And so these are like how-to books. They're written by the wisest man God ever created, and they're inspired by the Spirit of God. Proverbs has general life advice. Ecclesiastes, the book is literally about the meaning of life. Song of Solomon is a book by the wisest man that ever lived about marriage and relationships. Why are we buying other books when these books exist inspired by the Spirit of God? And so today we're going to look at some truths from Solomon's writing in Ecclesiastes. He, he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was nearing the end of his life. So remember, God made him the wisest man to ever live at the beginning of his reign when he was very young. Um, and so he's combining this long life with his God-given wisdom. And it's a poetical book. It's artistic. Um, but it's kind of pessimistic, too. Uh, Solomon talks about how everything is meaningless. He says that fun is meaningless, work is meaningless, advancement is meaningless, wealth is meaningless. He actually even says that wisdom is meaningless. But then he brings home the point that everything is meaningless without God. Solomon's wisdom allowed him to step back and look at life, and it was with wisdom that he figured out that wisdom isn't even worth it or helpful unless it's paired with God's goodness. And he writes this in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. It says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Yeah, I think you guys are pretty smart. Smart cookies. Every one of you. In here, joining us online, you're smart. And I think if I asked you the question, why do we need wisdom, you would probably have some pretty good answers. Why do we need wisdom? Why should we be seeking wisdom? What good does wisdom do us? I'm smart. I could come up with some answers too. But today, it's not about being smart. And it's not about our good answers. This is about wisdom, and Solomon shows us in Ecclesiastes 7 that there are some specific reasons that we need wisdom. And so we're going to look at two of them together, and I've got my board here this morning. We're going to explore some different things. The first one is this. Why wisdom? You're taking notes, right? So these might be some good things to write down. Why wisdom? Why does he say that we need wisdom? The first reason that he says we need wisdom is that it protects us. I don't know about you, but I want to be protected. Wisdom is a defensive tool in our tool belt. It's a shield that prevents us from being hurt or taken advantage of or making mistakes or hurting other people. And that's a really, really great sales pitch because we don't want to be hurt and we don't want to make mistakes. Um, we don't want to be uncomfortable. So if wisdom can prevent all of that, we want wisdom. But I want you to really understand today, I want us to walk out of here knowing that the main way that wisdom protects us is by giving us proper perspective. I want you to look at Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 11 through 14. It says this, 
Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. That's everybody. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who has it, those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now, I want to remind you that this is a poetical book, okay? So it's, it's written in its original language like poetry, all right? Um, but the wisdom um, is giving us proper perspective about good and bad times. And we all know what good and bad times are. It says when, when uh, things are good, be happy. We're all pretty good at that. But it says when things are bad, consider that God made one as well as the other. See, when times are good, a smart person says, how can I hold on to this, right? When, when our marriage is going well or we're having a good time with our children or we're in a good season in our career, we go, okay, I want to hang on to this. How can I hold on to this? How can I make sure that this continues? But wisdom says, for what purpose did God allow me to have this season? I know that it's fleeting, but I also know that God gave it to me for a reason, when times are bad, a smart guy says, how do I fix this? Have you ever asked yourself, how do I fix this? How am I gonna fix this? I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna fix my marriage. I'm gonna fix my health. How do I fix it? We wanna know what life hacks we can employ to get out of the situation as quickly as we possibly can. But remember that Jesus told us in this world, we will have trouble. And so wisdom says, for what purpose did God allow me to have this bad season? For what purpose did I experience this illness or this loss of a loved one or this lack or this problem? For what purpose did God allow me to have this bad season? Wisdom is our defensive weapon because it protects us from peril. It keeps us from pride um, and it keeps us from despair. It keeps us from unhealthy extremes. If you keep reading in Ecclesiastes 7, it says in verse 15, in this meaningless life of mine, boy, he's in a bad place. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked. And do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So wisdom doesn't just say don't be a fool or don't be wicked. It tells us not to be over-righteous or over-wise. Remember me with my bathroom mirror? I, the, the problem is not that the idea is not good. It's that I'm losing sight of the reason for my idea. Wisdom protects us with knowledge. A wise person will fill their head with as much knowledge, information, and education as possible to be prepared to make good decisions. But wisdom also says don't take knowledge to the extreme and don't let it rule you. That's why we need wisdom for a second reason. Wisdom protects us and it empowers us. You're taking notes, right? You're writing it down so you can chew on it later. You can have a conversation over your burger after church. You can think about it later. It empowers us. Wisdom protects us as our defensive weapon 
because it, our head gets filled with knowledge, but then wisdom empowers us. It becomes our offensive weapon by filling our heart with power. See, it, it fills our head with wisdom and it protects us. That's our, our head. And then it empowers us. That's our heart. And you've probably heard any number of people give advice about, you know, don't follow your head, follow your heart, or don't follow your heart, follow your head. But the truth is that God made both. And so this is kind of what I want us to feast on this morning. This is the meat and potatoes. This is what's going to fill us up to go out and have an abundant life. Why wisdom? Well, some of us might say, I didn't, hear, I didn't come here today because I need wisdom. I need help. I need provision. I need answers. I need love. I need healing. But that's what wisdom is. It's to know what we really need and to know what we need to do with that need. I want you to look at these verses in Ecclesiastes 7. Okay, Ecclesiastes 7, 19 through 20 says, wisdom makes one person, uh, one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. It goes, goes forward um, through Ecclesiastes, all through chapter 7. In fact, that's your, um, your uh, homework this week, is to read through Ecclesiastes 7, through uh, verse 21 and 22, and through uh, all the way through 29. I want you to go home and read that today. Because the Bible makes the point over and over again that wisdom is important to us. In Proverbs, King Solomon tells us over and over to get wisdom, no matter the cost or effort it takes. With all the ways it helps us, you can see why we need it. So today, what I want to focus on is three steps to receiving wisdom. Three steps to receiving wisdom. You might want to write that down today. See, my name is Trinity, okay? And I'm not named after the girl in the Matrix. That movie came out when I was eight, okay? So I'm not named after the girl in the Matrix. And everybody asks, and I'm kind of tired of being asked the question if I was named after the girl in the Matrix, because I don't know what you think my parents were doing, but I was not named after the girl in the Matrix. In eighth grade, I had a science teacher who asked me every single day of my eighth grade year, hey, Trinity, how are things in the Matrix? My name is Trinity because it refers to the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? Because my parents were newly saved and super Christian, and that's why I got the name Trinity Jordan, and I love my name. God is three persons, and I need you to know that today. It's something that I want to spell out for you even if you've heard it before. God is one God, but the Trinity, the Godhead, is a biblical concept that refers to God as three in one. And I'm going to tell you right now that none of us are going to get this completely. But it's important that we know it. God is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three unique personalities that are all uh, part of what God does in the Bible. So they all have different roles that they play throughout history. Um, so there's God the Father, the Creator God, Almighty God. There's God the Son, Jesus Christ. And there's God the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We were created by God, all of God. The book of John says, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. So Jesus was there at creation. Jesus created you, okay? And then Genesis says that before the earth was formed, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the Holy Spirit. 
that matters because we were created by God and for God, by the Holy Trinity, to be in relationship with him. I really want you to get this this morning. When you're in real relationship with someone, you're in relationship with all of them. A fully intimate relationship requires you to know and be known fully. And wisdom is found when we fully relate to all of God. We gain wisdom when we relate to God the Father, to God the Son, and to God the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna write that down this morning. This is how to get wisdom. Boy, if you were ever gonna take notes, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but how to get wisdom, you might wanna write this down. Maybe you can steal it from me and King Solomon and you can write a book, make hundreds. How to get wisdom, okay? Number one, you need to fear God. Fear God. You're like, what does that mean? I want you to look at the book of Proverbs, chapter one, verse seven. It says this, it's gonna be on your screen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does that mean? Does that mean we're to be afraid of God? No, yes, kind of. Do you want your kids to be afraid of you? No, yes. Kind of. A fear of God is not fear that that person is going to hurt you, but it's a healthy understanding that that person is in control, that they're in charge. When we fear God, we're not afraid of him because we know he's a benevolent, loving Father God, and he's not here to hurt us. In fact, he has our best interests at heart. But we have an understanding that he is in control, and we are not. So the first way to get wisdom, and Proverbs tells us this, remember Proverbs was written by King Solomon, or this part was, It says the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. We need to have an understanding of who God is. See, so many times we start to believe that God is small, that he's like us, that he has the same understanding that we do or the same outlook that we do or the same fears and anxieties that we do, but that's not God. When we understand and we fear God, that's when we get wisdom. Number two, you accept Jesus. You accept Jesus. You're like, what does that mean? Does that mean get saved? Kind of. You accept Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, it is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. When you accept Jesus into your heart, when he becomes your Lord and Savior, it doesn't say that he gives you wisdom. It says that Christ Jesus is your wisdom. When you accept Jesus, the world of wisdom is opened up to you. It becomes available to you. And then the third thing that you do to get wisdom is you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure, I want to hang out here and make sure that we understand what that means this morning. It says this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wisdom isn't just something that we get from God, like he's doling out snacks and we just take our juice box and run with it. That's not what wisdom is. Real wisdom comes from an ongoing relationship with God where we're, we're knowing all of God all the time. I want you to remember my son, my Jawin Troy, he's a debater, but he will grow more in that the more he interacts with me. That's why as a parent, even though sometimes I just want him to go away for a little while, 
and it's okay to admit that. My job is to interact with him because the more that he speaks with me, the more that he talks with me, the more that he interacts with me, the more that he will grow. The more I engage him in conversation, the more he learns to talk. The more I speak to him, the more he learns to listen. The more questions that I answer for him, the more answers he has, and the more questions he asks, and the more answers he has, and so on and so forth. The more I model patience for him, parents, the more patient he becomes. I can tell him to be patient all day long, but he'll learn patience when I model patience. The more I model persistence, the more persistent he becomes. The more I model love, the more loving he becomes. I can tell him what to do until I'm blue in the face, but he's going to do what he sees me do because my son is a product of our relationship. That's what wisdom from God is like. So many of us want him to just tell us what to do so that we can go off and be on our own. But wisdom from God comes from a relationship with him. And then we grow in that wisdom. And then we turn to him to learn how to use that wisdom. See, wisdom in our head protects us. And wisdom in our heart gives us power. And we need both. So now we know how to get wisdom. But as we're wrapping up today, the question becomes, how do we use wisdom? Because wisdom is ours for the taking. But what are we supposed to do with it? We use wisdom this way. First, we seek with our heads. Remember, we're talking about our heads and our hearts. So how do we use wisdom? We seek with our heads. This is important because this is something that you can grasp onto. You'll know tomorrow if you did this. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Your job is to study. Your job is to read. We are a privileged society. We have total access to the word of God. Not only is it not outlawed, but it's available to us in a million different ways. You've got a Bible app, you can access it online, you can buy a Bible at the dollar store, not to mention at any local bookstore. You have access to the word of God. And when we don't use it, kind of insulting the spirit of God, aren't we? It is alive and active. And it's a, it's a book that we need to read. So gain all the knowledge you can, especially from the Bible and from godly resources. Solomon said in Proverbs 11 that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That's one of the reasons we gather this way. If you trust me, and if God has called you to be a part of this church, then I can help you. And you can help me, and we can lean on one another and glean wisdom from each other. We seek with our heads, we, we seek to grow. But at the same time, we use wisdom by seeking with our hearts. And we have to do both at the same time. So we seek with our head, and we seek with our heart. How do you seek with your heart? Well. Wisdom only comes from God. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Last week during our creative worship gathering, several of you participated in an exercise that we called At the Cross. 
So there were stations set up all over uh, this room and we had different, um, many of you have done this before, we had different tables set up and there were different things that you did. But last week, we had a station set up over here at the cross. And what we did was we had post-its available and tacks. And we said, what we want you to do is we want you to pray at the foot of the cross and we want you to bring your need before God. And we want you to write it down on a piece of paper and we want you to tack it to the cross. And we want you to leave it there. Putting that paper up on the cross, it symbolizes that you're leaving it with Jesus and you won't be taking it back up with you. And so this is a moment of reflection for those of you that participated in that. Did you pick it back up? Have you been trying to solve it in your own strength this week? I hope not. I told you when I introduced that station that I would be reading the requests, and I did. They were anonymous. Wouldn't have affected my view of you at all if I knew who they were, but these broke me. Some of them I knew exactly who you were just based on the conversations we've had. Some of them I just had to leave it in God's hands. Every one of them turned my heart over, and I prayed over these in, in weeping this week. There were 23 of them, which isn't a lot. I mean, not everybody was here and not everybody did that station because there was a lot to do in a small amount of time. 23 prayer requests, seven requests for physical healing, three people struggling with anxiety, two that needed God to come through with provision, five were asking to hear from God, nine, nearly 50%. We're praying for people who didn't know Jesus. We're lost. Probably going to end up in hell unless God could do something. Three of them dealt with depression. Eight of them for broken relationships. People that they couldn't, couldn't get back. Six of them for hurting children. Children in hopeless situations and danger, sadness. Beloved church, I wish I could take this pain from you, this anguish, this uncertainty, this brokenness. And yet I know that the God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. I know that he numbers the very hairs on your head I know that he said that your latter will be better than your former. I know that he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. And so today I pray that you will anchor yourself on this passage from Lamentations chapter 3. It says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This, this Bible, this wisdom, this, this relationship with God, it's wisdom. It gives us proper perspective. It protects us, it empowers us, it helps us. God knows what we need. We might think in our smarts, in our knowledge that we know what we need, that we know the outcome that would be right, that would fix everything. But Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter six, verses 31 through 33, he said this, um, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What you think you need is not what you need. What you need is God. What you need is wisdom, the protection and the power, and you get wisdom by running to God. Once you get the wisdom, you'll realize that you need more God. And the closer you draw to God, the more wisdom you'll have, and the more you'll realize how much more you need God. See, that's the wisdom cycle. You start by getting wisdom. You go to God, you fear God, you accept Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you get wisdom. But wisdom, real wisdom, it'll always draw you closer to God, every time. So you'll have this momentum that builds up in your life as you draw closer to God and you get more wisdom. Wherever you are, would you close your eyes for just a moment? Why do you need wisdom? You need it in your head for protection and you need it in your heart for power. How do you get wisdom? You fear God, accept Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit. And how do you use wisdom? You seek with your head and you seek with your heart. All of us today need more wisdom. How do I know that? Because all of us today need more God. There will be no point in your life where you've had enough of God, where you've discovered all that he has to offer you. Some of you today are realizing that you don't have wisdom, not real wisdom, because you haven't gone through the steps to get wisdom. You haven't decided to fear God. You haven't accepted Jesus. You haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you today, I want to tell you that you are at the best and the worst part, the easiest and the hardest part. Where you are, before God is the easiest place to be. All you have to do to receive wisdom, protection, and power is say yes. God does all the work. You receive all the blessing. And that's what makes it the best part. When you say yes to Jesus, the forgiveness, the healing, the love, 
the acceptance, the joy, and the peace are immediate. But this is also the hardest part because Satan himself is fighting tooth and nail to keep you from this decision. Your human nature is resisting the idea of surrendering your will to someone else. It's worth it. And the really cool thing is that this part is the worst part of your walk with God. Not because it's bad, but because it only gets better from here. As beautiful as the moment of salvation is, it's the worst part because the best is yet to come. Walking with Jesus isn't a walk with the park, but it is the grandest, greatest, most exciting adventure that you will ever know. So my first question for you, dear friends, here on this campus, or joining us online, is this, do you need to say yes to God today? I know you have needs. I know the answer to those needs. You need wisdom and wisdom comes from God. So say yes to him today. Give him your life. Let him come in and change you, not into something different than yourself, but into what he created you to be. Today, if you'd like to accept Jesus and receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's as simple as one, two, three. I'm going to count, and you're going to lift your hand in an act of surrender, whether you're here or whether you're at home. One, two, three. If you'd like to receive Jesus today, raise your hand. And then I'm gonna ask you to just repeat this prayer after me wherever you're at. Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Make me new. Jesus, save me. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you always. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Okay. Church, many of you already fear God. You've already accepted Jesus. You've already received the power of the Holy Spirit. But you've been distracted, distant. You haven't been using the wisdom that's yours for the taking. Worse, you're not in regular relationship with God. All of Him, all the time. If that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're ready to respond to God's call today to use wisdom well, then your response is twofold. First, we're going to seek God in His wisdom with our heads. This week, we're going to host a Bible plan on the YouVersion app so that we can all read the Bible together. And second, we're going to seek God in His wisdom with our hearts. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You need healing. You need freedom from depression and anxiety. You have a loved one that doesn't know God. You have broken relationships. Your children are suffering. Remember, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask for it. And God gives generously to all without finding fault. So for the next few moments, we're going to ask. 
here's what we're going to do. Some music is going to play and I'm going to open the altars this morning. It would be my honor to pray for you, to anoint you with oil and pray God's wisdom over your life. This time is yours. So if you need to get alone with God to seek his wisdom out, just spend these next couple of moments well, and then we'll come back together again and dismiss. Begin to pray. <laughs> 